Hello, welcome to the Performing Animal Rights series. I am Ben Hunt. I'm a performance artist and researcher at De Montfort University. I'm doing a PhD in performing arts in the animal rights movement with a focus on trauma, where it manifests and how it can bring about change. I'm also the creator of the Performing Arts and Animal Rights Archive, which you can find at performinganimalrights.org. Now, this episode is the first of a series of discussions with creative animal rights activists about their work and the value of creative practice in the movement. But before we delve into these conversations, I thought it would be useful to explain why performance is an important tool in the animal rights movement and the broader total liberation movement. As an activist and a performer, I see the real value in practicing performance in activism as a way to move the public and challenge oppressive power structures as well as organise as a movement. But it's not just me who thinks this. Dr Martin Luther King Jr. argued that human salvation lies in the hands of the creatively maladjusted. And we can go back thousands of years to tactical pranks like the Trojan horse, even our boy Jesus of Nazareth overturning the tables of the money changers. He mastered the craft of political theatre. That was 2,000 years before Greenpeace. Now there's loads of theatrical thinkers and practitioners who also back me up on this. Augusto Boal, a theatre practitioner who wrote Theatre of the Oppressed, said the theatre itself is not revolutionary. It is a rehearsal for the revolution. So it is essential for social change. And there's different kinds of characteristics of performance and theatre that really play nicely into activism and social change organising. Many of the values espoused in social change also happen in theatre, like timing, surprise, strong visuals, compelling characters, dynamic tension, discipline and rehearsal. And I genuinely believe that if we want to win, as animal rights activists, as environmental activists, as as anti-oppression activists, performance is a really important ingredient for this victory. One of the main reasons I feel this is feeling. People are moved not by facts and figures, but by stories and emotional responses to those stories and to those images and to these experiences. For example, the numbers of animals slaughtered every minute is unfathomable. It's in its billions and yearly its trillions. The suffering is incomprehensible, and that's exactly it. The numbers make it so. But when we tell stories, we cut through that to the emotion of ourselves as human animals and how we're designed to understand the world. And that moves us to hopefully take action and move against that suffering that we see that we learn of stephen duncombe a creative activist and practitioner who wrote dream or nightmare reimagine politics in an age of fantasy said that the challenge isn't to make people think that the war is a bad idea since most people already do the challenge is to make people feel it can be over now and that's our challenge as activists as animal rights activists people know killing animals is bad but there's justifications for it, whether that's taste, health, cultural, biological. And I'm sure the activists listening to this and the vegans and vegetarians listening to this would see those excuses as illegitimate. 
but their excuse is all the same. But if we can provide exciting, hopeful, entertaining critique and solutions to this bad thing of animal exploitation, we will win. We will win them over, the people who aren't convinced yet, and in turn, that will change the systems that do the exploitation. Duncomer also said people don't decide to change their mind and act accordingly for entirely rational reasons. They are moved to do so by emotionally powerful stimuli, be it love, hate, fear, hope or compassion. And we see that not just in the animal rights movement but also in politics in general. People feel left behind and they become attached to these emotions of love and hate. We see that in the political landscape. We also hear in stories of activists like myself who class themselves as an animal lover but it wasn't until I learned the story of these animals it really got through to me that I started to change. The same with Alex Lockwood who is a writer and activist who said that the slaughterhouse vigil footage by the Animal Save movement really cemented his desire to be an activist and vegan and these are images of animals destined for slaughter. Duncan goes on to say we understand our world less through reasoned deliberation of facts and more through stories and symbols and metaphors that allow us to make sense of the information we receive and that's an anthropological perspective where humans are designed to understand the world through stories through symbols not through numbers and statistics and graphs and you see that with activist groups like direct action everywhere when they do open rescue The numbers of these animals in these factory farms are unfathomable. There's thousands of them. And activists go in there and take animals out of these situations. And they expose the stories of these individuals. They single out these individuals and tell that story and bring these stories into the public sphere. And Duncombe criticises these facts and figures way of reporting. He says we're bombarded with so much information that we simply can't weigh the evidence and use logical reasoning to interpret and judge each case. So we go what with what feels right. It's all about feeling. And these feelings are packaged in stories, in narratives. Boyd and Mitchell from Beautiful Trouble, who wrote a fantastic toolbook of how to be creatively disruptive in activism, highlights that we are narrative animals that apprehend the world through stories. For example, really recent example of Geronimo, the alpaca, who was tested for TB, tuberculosis, in the UK. And through law, if a animal of livestock, usually a cow, but in this case an alpaca, they must be slaughtered with the fear that it spreads to other animals and disrupts the economic value of those beings for the businesses they're reared for. So after a long legal battle with the owner, the owner pleading for a more accurate test because these tests are known to be inaccurate. Geronimo, a year or so later, was taken to be slaughtered. And they've just recently found out that Geronimo was actually testing negative for TB all along. And this story happens all the time to mainly cows in the UK and beyond, I'd imagine. It happens to badgers. There's a knock-on effect of badgers where they're culled because they're said to spread TB but this being this individual was individually placed into a narrative that was picked up by the press and it caused outrage not just by vegans and animal rights activists but the general public and that's how 
These issues are raised not through hundreds of cows are killed each year for testing positive for TB. There's also the story of the wonder cow that escaped a slaughterhouse in Poland and she swam to an island to escape slaughter and she was picked up by the press. Her story was picked up by the press and people organised to have her taken to a sanctuary. Unfortunately, she passed away on the way. But her story resonated with the wider public. Now, of course, as animal rights activists, you may already know that the majority of beings, if not all of beings, resist in some way to slaughter. And slaughterhouses are built in such a way to try and minimise that struggle. Yet, from footage after footage after footage, it shows that these non-human animals still suffer and still struggle for life. And stories of activists like Alex Lockwood in his book Pig in Thin Air, talking about his journey into veganism and into animal rights activism, resonates with him seeing a image of a single pig falling out of a slaughterhouse truck on the way to slaughter, and that pig escaping. And then there's my story where I said I loved animals, yet I ate them for 25 years before making that connection when I learnt about the stories of dairy cows and their children and their destiny. Now Boyd and Mitchell from Beautiful Trouble say that performance is essential because of this. It is the most natural tool to channel narrative. And if we're just waiting around for the truth to set us free, that's lazy. The truth does not reveal itself by virtue of being the truth. It must be told and it must be told well. And that's where performance can really fill that need. They go on to say we need to organise through narratives on three levels, on the personal, on the collective and the mythological. And I say is animal rights being the perfect place for all three of these. The personal, from the activist's perspective, but also from an individual's non-human animal perspective, but also as a collective, as a movement. And the mythological, about the connection, the spiritual connection and the stories we can tell that mirror the desire for non-humans to live and to live fully and the possibility for us to live side by side with non-humans without exploiting them. Even in serious movements like the animal rights movement where suffering, trauma, death, violence and sadness is deeply woven into the movement, we can still make our argument compelling and effective. We can create visions of the future. Protests gain in power if they reflect the world we want to create. A world that is full of colour and life and creativity and art and music and dance. It's a celebration of life against the forces of greed and death. As animal rights activists, through performance, we can create these worlds. We can show these worlds. We can say there is a, there is a better world. And there are examples of that. With open rescue of activists saying we can mobilise to save lives. There's also mockumentaries like Carnage by Simon Amstel that provide a utopian view on the world once we move past animal exploitation. Buckminster Fuller said you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. We can't create a world we haven't yet. Better if we've already tasted it. And Bertolt Brecht famously claimed that art is not a mirror with which to reflect reality, but a hammer with which to shape it. An animal rebellion, 
a sister group of Extinction Rebellion are perfect examples of that. A couple of years ago, they occupied Smithfields Market in London, one of the biggest meat markets in Europe, and they transformed it into a future plant-based market, the concourse with fresh, tasty fruit and veg stalls, with exciting meat alternative stores, with a carnival kind of atmosphere. And the same, same with their campsites, where there's a real community feel, a different world to what we're living now. And this different way of thinking, this creative thinking, sub- subverts the authorities, the oppressive systems that are in place right now. Larry Bogard, in his book Tactical Performance, talks about how social movements can be predictable. A demonstration could be so common that it becomes a form by which a social movement presents itself to the public. This can be detrimental to the movement, since many aspects of demonstrations are cliched and alienating to a general audience. But opening space within the imagination by reworking traditional forms of action, picket lines, rallies and so forth, is necessary in these dark times when the protests is all too easily marginalised, preempted, and shouted down or ignored. And Extinction Rebellion are a good example of surprise and creativity. Police know they're going to blockade a junction at some point, yet Extinction Rebellion use deception and distraction to pull the police and their resources towards a march where the majority of the activists are. And while that's happening, somewhere else, a small group of activists are setting up structures that will be difficult to take down and that block traffic or get in the way of everyday life and these marches end up there and then it takes time for the police to arrest and to take down these obstacles. Thinking about activism creatively also plays into public engagement. By being creative you can cause a demonstration dilemma, a public action that puts authorities in a situation where they have no good move to make. For example, Anna Rebellion did a flash mob veggie dance in the middle of Oxford Circus a few years ago. Everyone dressed up as vegetables and fruit and were just dancing around, blocking a bit of traffic here and there, having a good time with songs blasting and just dancing and singing along. And there was a really big, strong reaction from the police where many vans zoomed up and many police officers got out and surrounded these activists. These people just having a nice time dressed as fruit and vegetables looking a bit silly. And the police arrested a man dressed as a broccoli, Mr. Broccoli, and also the police liaison dressed as peas. And the Im- these images spread around the media and even Mr. Broccoli got onto television with a slot on morning television with the infamous Pierce Morgan. And that was the real magic of that disruption. It was creative, it was fun, and it reached out beyond the activist subculture. It wasn't just about vegan activists shouting at someone. It was people having a good time, trying to get a message across, and being punished for that. And that resonated, and that can spark a real inclusive tone. Bogart talks about this that the hope is that more people will join the movement when a space for joyful participation is opened up. And that's exactly what our rebellion did. They played on that. I said, join Mr. Broccoli next time. And there was another one. There was another fruit and veg dance party. And Extinction Rebellion do this too with their samba bands. Without the samba band at their blockades and their marches, there'd be a feeling a bit more somber, a bit more flat. 
but with the samba bands there's a party atmosphere and passers-by are impressed and they want to hang around and enjoy and maybe get an idea of why people are there in the first place and they can engage with conversation about the climate crisis. And Bogart talks about this, about putting a friendly face on the movement as a way to interrupt the idea that's spread by the corporate media. The demonization of activists as crazed nihilistic hooligans or as crusties. And this element of surprise can create personal connections and break up stereotypes, cliches and other mind-deadening habits of thought. Only a stimulated imagination can break paradigms and conceive of better worlds. And having this flow of imagination and creativity built into this activism can really engage passers-by, people watching, through media sources, on platforms, online. And activists can use these platforms to their advantage. Most recently, DXC, Direct Action Everywhere, had an activist who posed as the CEO of Smithfield Foods and most recently Tyson Foods on American news outlets. And Boyd and Mitchell talk about hoaxes, a really good way for activists to buy some airtime that they couldn't usually afford with advertising or connections in mainstream media. And the activists from Direct Action Everywhere got the point across by posing as a CEO. And even though the news outlets turned around later and said that it was in fact a hoax, this was enough to get the message about how animals are exploited in the factory farming industry across to a massive audience. And Boyd and Mitchell from Beautiful Trouble talk about how you can make art accessible if it's beautiful enough and people will want to join where the thought goes. People being entertained by a hoax, by a samba band, by a dancing vegetable follows these messages. Why is that vegetable dancing and getting arrested? Why are people dancing in the streets about climate change? Why is the CEO talking about how badly their animals are being exploited by their own company? And why was the activist posing like that in the first place? Performance and creativity capture the attention and can lead to a realisation, an understanding and an appreciation of why these activists are doing what they're doing. And that's a big lesson to learn for engagement of making our own media. Many online activists use platforms really effectively, like animal rights activist David Rams has a YouTube channel that uses performance as a tool to get vegan arguments across clearly and in an entertaining way and direct action everywhere harness live streams and videos to create engaging up-to-date and creative content and these art forms are taken seriously by these activists who harness these art forms but also the audiences there who may be animal rights activists who are motivated by these performances or people who are susceptible to animal rights arguments as well and even to those who heavily disagree with the vegan argument of animal liberation. Now Boyd and Mitchell talk about how focusing our efforts on creativity and performance on art by making it good people will pay more attention to what you're trying to say. Even people who disagree with your views will still respect your effort because you showed them the respect of making as strong and beautiful an artwork as possible. And performing arts doesn't just mean performing for an audience and hoping to move that audience into changing 
whether that's changing their diet or becoming an activist or putting pressure on the systems that exploit animals and others. It's also a useful tool to train ourselves as activists. We can use theatre and performance to workshop ideas, to role play. Many movements have used role play and rehearsal to make sure their direct actions are as effective as possible, covering all the bases for all events. So you can role play how to talk to someone who might be aggressive towards your point of view, towards a authority who's challenging you and trying to get you to move away from your action. And these can be practiced. By also creating these worlds as a performance, as possible worlds, utopian worlds, you're getting a taste, as mentioned before, but also training for that world to happen. So if that world does happen, if slaughter becomes banned, there are things in place for our communities to flourish because we have already practiced this in our activism and shown that we can thrive in that. Like the Extinction Rebellion and Animal Rebellion camps, like these future markets that were created temporarily, and performers can train activists to be confident in their abilities to create change. If you, as an activist, are harnessing acting as part of your approach, you can become a character that you're not in real life. For example, if you're introverted or shy at events or struggle to talk to someone who disagrees with you, being proficient in performance can really help you adopt a persona a character for the cause. If you act like you belong, fake it till you make it, you'll get further than you think. And that's just seen also in authority in general. It's more performed, if anything. Police wouldn't be as scary or as imposing if they didn't have their uniforms, their boots, their truncheons, their guns, their statures and their collective movement. But with all these things, all these characters, characteristics they have, the costumes they wear, they impose a certain feeling, a certain authority, which we can harness as activists in our actions as well. And being aware that activism is a performance, we can really harness that in our activism, realising that we are advertisements for our movement. So if we are exhausted, frustrated, overwhelmed or unhappy most of the time, we can make a life of an activist look extremely unattractive to the average person. But if we harness theatre and performance, creating new hopeful worlds, being creative in our messaging, our movement becomes appealing. People will want to join and be part of something hopeful and exciting and creative and imaginative. So those are some of my points why I genuinely believe that performing arts is an essential tool to the animal rights movement and beyond. It's not just about public engagement, it's about thinking creatively as a movement and embedding it into how we operate. And it can tick so many boxes by doing that. It can train us as individuals to be more effective, more comfortable in our own activism by adopting characters and being trained to be able to deal with these circumstances that might arise. It's creating new worlds, it's being aware of our audience and how to connect with them. It's about harnessing narrative and feeling to really get the message across and to make this movement more effective, more mobilised and more powerful. And in the next so many discussions I'm going to have with advocates and activists who are part of this movement of creative 
input into animal rights. I hope to discover more about creative practice and how it can be effective and how it is effective in the movement. So that's my soapbox. That's what I'm standing on. That's what I'm trying to get across. And hopefully you get something out of this series and we can start discussion about how we can centre performance and creativity in our movement so we become more imaginative, exciting and inclusive as well as reaching a broad audience that can empathise with our message and bring about animal liberation and total liberation sooner rather than later.